Hi, Pastor Chad Tucker here from Doxa Church in Burlington, North Carolina. To learn more about our new ministry and to find out about how you can partner with us, visit us online at doxaburlington.com. That's D-O-X-A burlington.com. We hope you enjoy the message. We are making our way through the book of Revelation, and I would say we're going verse by verse, but sometimes we don't even get to cover a whole verse. We're just covering parts of it at a time so that we can pull the other scriptures in to help them indeed make sense. Uh, today is one of those times that we're going to, uh, uh, the focus of our attention is going to be uh, on one verse, um, and yet we're going to pull uh, some things from Scripture, uh, both this week and next week as well, uh, into this particular verse to make sure that we understand it. In terms of the end times, in terms of the Great Tribulation, the return of Christ, and all of those things, it is vitally important that you understand this verse that we are going to look at today. Uh, In fact, this is one of those verses that depending on how you interpret it, depending on how you understand it, will set a path of the direction that you will go in terms of what what takes place in the tribulation, whether it's future or past, whether we're going to be in the tribulation, saved through the tribulation, or saved out of or away from uh, the tribulation. We need to take time to identify who this verse of Scripture is talking about, what it's saying, so that we can be certain that we are where we want to be uh, in relation in regards to not only this verse, but all of the rest of the book of Revelation as well. As you know, the book of Revelation was written by John uh, the Apostle. He was on the Isle of Patmos and he was there confined to hard labor because of his testimony in Christ. And while he was breaking rocks and doing all those things, even though he was near 90 years old, and even though he was uh, engaged uh, forcibly into hard labor, uh, when he had the opportunity, particularly On the Lord's day, he would take time away and he would go in the spirit on the Lord's day. And that simply means that he would sort of shut himself off and give his attention and focus on to God like like Christians do every day. And one day while he was there, the Lord Jesus himself came to him. uh, And said, John, write what you see and write in a book. In fact, he tells him multiple times. And what we've been studying thus far are the the letters to the seven churches. We've made it to chapter 3, verse 10. We're in the sixth of seven letters that the Lord Jesus Himself wrote to uh, individual, particular, specific churches in Asia Minor. And yet the truths of those uh, letters... Uh, are for us today. Because in each of those letters it says, let, um, uh, let he who has ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so these letters are written specifically to individual churches, but their interpretation and their application is widespread all across, uh, Christ's churches uh, throughout uh, the land and throughout time. Here in this one, this letter is the last good letter. Uh, the church to Laodicea will get to in the coming weeks. Uh, will be the last letter that we study. And it is not a good church like the one we're studying now. 
If there's a church that we want to be like, a church that we would want to emulate, uh, we would ideally love to be like the church of Philadelphia. And the reason is, is because God has no critiques at all. Jesus has no criticism for this church at all. Everything that He says is positive. Everything He says is, is, is good. Everything that He says about the way they're teaching, the way they're preaching, the way they're loving and serving, both their works, their deeds, their actions, everything is great. God says nothing about any of those things other than, I know your works. And He puts the, the focus of this entire letter on the second coming of Christ, and we've related that in recent weeks to the uh, covenant with David. So we've come down here. So this letter, the entirety of the letter is is kind of a, it, the church at Philadelphia was a second coming church, and this the entirety of this letter relates and connects to the second coming uh, of Christ and preparing for His return. And here he says uh, in verse 10, and I'm going to, I'm going to read, I'm going to pick up in verse 9, uh, actually I'll pick up in verse 8, just so we can get the flow, but again our focus is going to be on verse 10. In this letter, Philippians chapter 3 verse 8, Jesus says this, and has John write to the churches, I know your works, look or behold, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close, because you have but little power, yet you have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, or note this, my translation says, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not but are lying, I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you. And we've looked at those uh, verses uh, in the past and what they mean. Look in verse 10. Because you have kept my command to endure... I will also keep you from the hour of testing. The hour of testing. Now look at this. I will keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. So what Jesus, who knows all things, is saying is that there is coming a testing. It's not a 60-minute test. I know it says in the hour of testing. We're going to look at that and we're going to unpack. This, of course, is referring, I believe, to the Great Tribulation. And I'm going to show you that in weeks ahead. But for today, all I want you to see is, is that in the future, Jesus says, because some say this happened in the past, but there's never been a worldwide testing on everyone who lives. There has been pockets of testing. There's been pockets of suffering. There have been people groups who have been unjustly treated and things along those lines. But never in the history of the world, in the recorded world, has there been a test that has come upon the entirety of the world. So today what I want you to understand is, is there is a, a testing that's coming. And notice what it says. Notice what it says. This testing, this testing is going to come on the whole world, on the whole world. And in case you're thinking it's just in nature, in case you're thinking it's just going to be, you know, uh, in the ocean or the actual creation of the world itself, he says, 
to test those who live on the earth. So right now, if you live on the earth, will you raise your hand? That's just except John. That's about okay. That's good. That's good. I was waiting there. I was waiting. John. John wasn't sure about the answer to that question. He thought it might be a trick question, right? Okay. So, so I don't know about you, but when I read this initially, and I see that this test is going to come, and it's going to test all of those who are on the world. The thing I want to know is: is does that include me? And will this be in my timing, or when it's going to come about? Now, what I'm thankful to know is, is that there are people who are going to be kept from this testing. Now, look at look at it again in, in verse 10. And, and notice what he says. I will also keep you from the hour of testing. So uh, there's, a, there's a you that's going to be kept from the hour of testing. And then he says, I'm going to test those who live on the earth. So the question is, are you a you or are you a those? And that's what we need to study. Because before we figure out what this verse means and how this verse applies and what this hour of tribulation and testing and all is going to be, I want to know from the beginning, hey, which group am I in? I want to know if I'm a you or if I'm a those. And I want you to know if you are a you who are going to be kept from this hour of testing or if you're going to be part of those that this hour of testing is going to come when it comes on the whole world. Now, first thought here as I look at this, it looks sort of hopeless for most of us uh, because anybody here perfect? Anybody here obey God's... I'm not even raising my hand. Anybody here obey God's Word perfectly? Keep God's Word perfectly. Alright, now now notice there are some conditions... There are some conditions placed on those who will not be in the testing. Notice what he says. He says, Because you have kept my command to endure. I don't think any of us has kept God's command perfectly in any area. And there's times that we've thrown in a towel. There's times perhaps that we've given up. Not ultimately, we're still Christians, not ultimately have we denied the faith and walked away or things like that. But I want you to see, because you have kept my command to endure, because you've persevered, it's the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. We're going to get into that probably next week. But there's this group who have obeyed the command to endure. And because they've obeyed the command to endure, this group of people will be kept from the hour of testing that is to come on all of the world. So what we need to look at today is, is we need to see who are the you and who are the those And who will be the ones that will be kept? And we'll see those primarily next week. But who are those that are going to endure this uh, testing? Okay? So this is kind of going to be an us-them study. We just have to study it that way. We have to study it that way so that indeed uh, it makes sense. The first group that I think is included in the those and what we're going to see is is these are the unsaved Jewish people. The unsaved Jewish people. Now, 
the unsaved Jewish people are people who um, ultimately, uh, I, I think we'll see and discover today, will be the ones who are going to be uh, in this time of testing. And I think there are lots of Scripture verses that point to that. But if you were to ask an Orthodox Jew about his beliefs... Now, not a Messianic Jew. Now, a Messianic Jew is not a Jew with messed up hair. That's not what Messianic means. But Messianic Jew is a Jew who is saved because they've been saved the same way you've been saved. Right? You are lost in your trespasses and sins. You could not save yourself. God being God and being a God of love is also a God of just. And sin separates us from God. But what happened is, is God sent His Son Jesus to come to this earth to live the perfect sinless life that we could not live. To die the cruel death on the cross in our place that we deserve to die because we have offended a holy God. God poured out His wrath on His Son in order that we who are chosen, adopted, and brought into the family of God, those who would be redeemed, forgiven of our sins, and given an eternal home in heaven to be with God forever. Those who are Messianic Jews are simply Jews who have embraced Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. And how did they get saved? The same way that you got saved. Now, it is true, and according to Romans 9, and we'll see that today, that the vast majority are blinded and will not, will not see and trust that Christ is. So those are Messianic Jews. But the Orthodox Jews are the ones I'm talking about. Those who reject Christ, those who deny Christ. If you were to ask them what they believe, they would say this. They would say, you know, Mr. Orthodox Jew, tell me, what do you believe? They would say, number one, that he carefully tries to keep the Mosaic Covenant. So, in other words, there would be no North Carolina barbecue uh, for them, right? Uh, they would do their best to cover the Mosaic Covenant. Now, they wouldn't engage in a sacrificial system. They haven't performed sacrifices since uh, the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. But outside of that, they would do their best to observe the feast. They'd do their best to keep the covenant and live their lives according to the law that God gave Moses. Now, most are going to carry around in their pocket a uh, copy of the Ten Commandments. But whenever they look at it, they do not believe that they have broken any of them. None. None. We as Christians recognize that we've broken all of them. Uh, but they would say, no, I'm not guilty of any of these. Not guilty of any of these. Um, in fact, an Orthodox Jew would say this, that the majority of the sacrifices in the Old Testament had nothing to do with atonement. Atonement being the substitutionary sacrifice paid on, on our behalf. They would say that the, the, um, because the sacrifices in the Old Testament were not about the atonement, had nothing to do with the atonement, therefore, there's no need for atonement from anyone. So they don't even think that they need to be saved. They are God's chosen people. Their father is Abraham. Everybody else who thinks they're going to get in, y'all the ones, me included, need to be saved. Y'all, because y'all are not fortunate enough to be born of Abraham. But see, we're God's chosen people, and therefore we don't need uh, an atonement for sin. As for signs, only one sign is needed. And that sign is that whoever the Messiah is, when He comes, He will bring about world peace. 
That's how they're going to know. That's how they're going to know. All they're looking for in a Messiah, the way that they're going to know that this person is the Messiah, is that he's going to accomplish world peace. And now you begin to think, that sounds like the Antichrist in the first couple of years of the tribulation. We haven't got there. We'll get there in our study. Now, Orthodox Jew, they also do not believe that Messiah will be God. And therefore, they say that would be blasphemous if the Messiah was God. They're not looking for a God. They're looking for a man who will be a world leader who will bring about world peace. You worship God. God is one. The Messiah is not God. He's a world peacemaker. That would be blasphemous to worship a Messiah. And so, because that would be blasphemous. And and now, uh, the Messiah will also have... Remember, he'll have nothing to do with the atonement whatsoever uh, because he's simply... He's simply a world leader who is going to unite the world in world uh, peace. So that's what Orthodox Jews uh, believe. Now, part of the reason they believe that uh, is because of their present standing uh, with God. Uh, If we were to look in, for example, Romans chapter 9, we would have an idea. Romans chapter 9... Through chapter 10, verse 4, we would have an idea. Romans chapter 9, verse, uh, verse 30. Romans 9, 30 through 10, 4. We'll have an idea of why they believe these things. And part of this is their eyes have been blind. Their eyes have been blinded. And we see this earlier in the, in, in Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 to 11 specifically addresses the Jews uh, in the final state. But here's Israel's present state in Romans chapter 9 verse 30. And the Bible says this, What should we say then? Gentiles did not pursue righteousness, have obtained righteousness. Now that's something to scratch your head about. Here's all these Gentiles. And by the way, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. There are only two groups of people on the face of the earth, Jews and Gentiles. Now we've already seen that there can be Jews that are saved and there can be Gentiles that are saved. So within the Jew and Gentile, there are saved and unsaved, saved and unsaved. But there's really only two people. You're either a Jew or you're not. And if you're not, you're a Gentile. You're a Gentile. So the Gentiles, Romans 9.30 says, Gentiles, they did not pursue righteousness, and yet they obtained righteousness, namely the righteousness that comes from faith. So they didn't try to keep the law because they recognized they couldn't keep the law. And when Gentiles recognized they couldn't keep the law, by faith they accepted Christ as the atoning sacrifice. That's what Paul's saying to the church at Rome. But Israel, on the other hand, the Jews, they were pursuing the law of righteousness. They've not achieved, they have not achieved the righteousness of the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were by works. So the reason the Jews' eyes, Israel's eyes are blinded is because rather than seeing the law and recognizing they couldn't accept it and by faith receive Christ, they strive to obtain righteousness by works. They have a work salvation. So based on their identity being in Abraham, based upon the the good life that they live because they keep the commandments, they'll never break the commandments, and they do their best to live according to the law, they strive to obtain salvation, which is impossible. And therefore, the Bible says, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. 
And you remember in past we did our study, the stumbling stone is not an it, the stumbling stone is a who. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. And he is the chief cornerstone, and he is, he is either a, he is either the cornerstone of your life, or he's a stumbling block in your life. It's, it's one or the other. You either build your life on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, or you stumble over Jesus, and to stumble over Jesus means eternal separation from God and ultimately damnation in hell forever apart from Christ. The Jews, in their present state, they stumbled over Him. Now, how do I know that? Because it says in verse 33, Lord, I'm putting a stone in Zion to look. I'm putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over. And the one who believes not on it, the one who believes on Him, on Him, the one who believes on Him will not be put to shame. Will not be put to shame. And so uh, that's why they are stumbling. You'll notice in chapter 10, verse 3, uh, it says they have not submitted to God's righteousness. In chapter 4, for Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. Um, and so basically they just reject Christ altogether. They reject Christ as the Messiah. And thus uh, they have lots of problems, but certainly are separated from, from God, from God. Now, to kind of show this even further and give us some more information is you can turn to the book of Zechariah. So if you can find Matthew in the Bible, if you turn left, two, go two blocks, uh, you'll be there. Turn left, Matthew, two blocks, and you'll be there. Or, if you can't find that, go to Genesis and go 37 blocks. Okay? Alright? Go 37 blocks and you will find Zechariah. It's Zechariah, Malachi, 400 years of silence, and then the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew. Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, gives us some more information um, about uh, about uh, Israel, and particularly in relation to uh, the tribulation period that's coming up. So Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 talking specifically to the Jews, the Bible says this, Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer, now look at this, on the house of David, on the house of David, and the residents of Jerusalem. So definitely talking about Jews, the Orthodox Jews. He's going to pour a spirit, not a spirit of wrath, He's going to pour out a spirit of grace and prayer, and they will look at me whom they pierced. They will look at me, whom they pierced. And what will they do? Right now they mock Him, but in the future when this happens, they will mourn Him. They will mourn Him. They will mourn Him. Now how in the world is that going to happen? Well, the same way it happened to the Apostle Paul. God's going to come and He's going to capture attention and He's going to pour out a measure of His grace and they are going to be saved. They're going to be saved. It's right there in chapter 10, verse 7. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. Go over to Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1. On that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the residents of Jerusalem to wash away sin and impurity. 
Now, you and I have already participated in that fountain, right? We sing this song. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath the flow. What? Lose all their guilt, guilty stain, guilt and shame, whatever it is. You know how it is. You never know the real words of the song. But whatever it is, you lose all their guilt and shame, all their guilty stain, right? There is a fountain. The Jews have not experienced that fountain yet, but one day they will. And they will be washed, it says, upon the residence of Jerusalem to wash away sin and impurity on that day. On that day. Alright? Um, go down to verse 8. In the whole land, this is the Lord's declaration. Now look at this. Two-thirds will be cut off and die. And this is, you can walk through it and look at it, but, but verse 7, Sword, awake against my shepherd, against the man who is my associate. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. That happened in the first coming of Christ. I will turn my hand against little ones. Verse 8, in the whole land, this is the Lord's declaration. Two-thirds will be cut off and die, but a third will be left in it. Verse 9, I will put this third through the fire. Through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is refined. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people and they will say, the Lord is our God. Now, when do you think this purging of the two-thirds takes place? And when do you think the purifying of the one-third takes place? It hasn't taken place yet. And it will take place. That fire is the fire that's going to come on the whole world. Okay? To those who dwell on it. And those who dwell on it are, at least part of them, are unsaved Jews. So the purpose of the tribulation is going to be two-thirds are going to be taken away. The one-third are going to be tested and purified and brought into the kingdom of God and saved and saved. In fact, Revelation chapter 14, we'll learn a, a little bit more. Verse 1, look, a day belonging to the Lord is coming when the plunder taken from you will be divided in your presence... I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem for battle. The city will be captured. The houses looted. The women raped. Half the city will go into exile. But the rest of the people will not be removed from the city. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as He fights a day of battle. On that day, His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will be split in half from east to west, forming a huge valley, so that half the mountain will move to the north and half to the south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for the valley of the mountains will extend to Hazel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquakes in the day of King Uzziah of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, now look at this, and all His holy ones with Him. You see that? Alright, now, so... This is saying that there's coming a day when Christ is going to return to earth. His feet are going to hit on right Mount Olive. It's going to split in two. 
He's going to come, alright, and when this happens, when this happens, He's coming, and who's bringing, who's He bringing with Him? The Holy Ones. We're going to talk about who the Holy Ones are next week. Maybe week after. But, for now, what these Jews say is, is they say, this Messiah is going to be a man to bring world peace. And the Bible says, no, it's going to be the Messiah, Jesus. He's going to come. He's going to reign and rule. He's not just going to be a a world peacemaker. He is going to be King Jesus. And He is coming and bringing all those with Him. Verse 6, On that day there will be no light. The sunlight and moonlight will diminish. It will be a unique day known only to the Lord without day or night. But there will be light at evening. On that day water will flow from Jerusalem. And on and on and on. Verse 9, On that day the Lord will become king over all the earth. Now look at this. They think that a world leader is going to come... Alright, and they think he's going to be king, peacemaker, but you're not going to worship him. But notice what the Bible says. If you ask an Orthodox Jew about Zechariah 14, they'll say there's things in Zechariah 14. They can't answer. Notice what happens. On that day, the Lord will become, and that's Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Yahweh, God's personal covenant-keeping name is mentioned here. On that day, on that day, Yahweh will become king over the whole earth. The Lord alone and His name alone. And all the land, all the land, people will live there, verse 11 says, and never again will there be a curse of complete destruction. So Jerusalem will dwell in security. So let me ask you this question. Looking at what Orthodox Jews believe, um, is the Messiah going to be more than a world leader he is he's God and will they reject him two thirds will reject him and ultimately die in the purpose of the tribulation two thirds will be purged but one third will be tested and brought through the fire we see that all the way through we see it all the way through So, first of all, we see that unsaving Jews will be part of those who are tested. Jeremiah says, calls it a test as well. Um, It's the abomination of desolation, the Bible calls it. Uh, And all these things, unsaving Jews, unsaved Jews will definitely be in the, um, uh, will definitely be in that time of testing on the whole earth. All right, let's look at another one. This will be a little bit quicker. Go back to Revelation chapter 3. Because there's a second group, and I want to go ahead and cover this because we can do it in just a few minutes. There's a second group uh, that's going to be in there. And these are going to be the unbelieving Gentiles. The unbelieving Gentiles. And the unbelieving Gentiles are designated by this phrase in Revelation chapter 3 verse 10. And I, I think you'll clearly see this as we walk through the book of Revelation, particularly 6 through 18 that we're going to see that those who dwell on the earth or those who live on the earth are unbelieving Gentiles. Unbelieving Gentiles. 
So we've already seen that unbelieving, unbelieving Jews, unsaved Jews will be in there. And by the way, one third are going to be saved, right? So when we get to Revelation 6 through 18, we'll be expecting to see some Jews reject Christ and die in their sin. But in the tribulation, we'll also be expecting to see some Jews repent and believe the gospel. Are all Jews going to repent and believe? No. Two thirds are going to not. One third will and will be brought in. Now we have unbelieving Gentiles. Look in Revelation chapter 3 verse 10. The unbelieving Gentiles, I believe and I hope to convince you of this as well, are those who live on the earth. That is a particular phrase that's found throughout the book of Revelation. In fact, it's found in there ten times. Ten times. And every time it's in there, it gives us a little bit more information. Let's just take a look at these. The first one is found in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. Now, we're, we're skipping and we're now in the middle of the fifth seal. Don't get lost. I'm going to hang up in the details. I want you to just see this phrase and what it has to say. But just so you know, this is the fifth seal. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered because of the word of God and the testimony they had given. So there's a people who have been martyred who are under the table. They cried with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long, now look at this, until you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood. So who are those who live on the earth? They are the ones who martyred the Christians. Who martyred the Christians who were sharing the gospel with Christ. There it is. That intact. Uh, those who live on the earth um, uh, is, the, is the phrase. Now go over to Revelation chapter 11 verse 7. In Revelation chapter 11, we have two witnesses who will do extraordinary things. And these two witnesses will ultimately be martyred, but they're not going to bury them and give them a proper burial. These two witnesses are here. God has brought to to preach the gospel in the tribulation period. And these two witnesses are, are ultimately rejected. So notice what it says in verse 7, Revelation eleven seven. When they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war on them, conquer them, and kill them. Their dead bodies will lie in the main street of the great city, which figuratively is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. And some of the people's tribes, languages, and tongues will view their bodies for three and a half days and not permit their bodies to be put into the tomb. Notice verse 10. So they're not going to bury these witnesses. They are so angry and mad uh, at them. Notice what it says, verse 10. Those who, here's your phrase again, who live on the earth, those who dwell upon the earth, they're not even, not only are they not going to bury them, they're going to gloat over them and they're going to celebrate. Now look at this. They're going to send gifts to one another because these two prophets had tormented, now look at this, tormented who? Now how did they torment them? preached Jesus to them and shared the gospel with them. They are so angry that these people in the tribulation, these prophets are preaching Jesus and preaching the gospel. They kill them, won't bury them, celebrate their deaths, give gifts to each other. Because 
they're gone and no longer will they be, right? But why? What what's the bit about preaching the gospel? What happens when you preach the gospel lost people? They get offended. They get upset. What happens whenever you preach the gospel to people and they don't want to hear it? They do everything that they can do to silence the people that are telling it. Revelation chapter 11 verse 7. And we have Revelation 13, 7 and 8. And it was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. And this is talking about the, the prophet. We haven't talked much about the great prophet, but but we will. But just so you can kind of get an idea, it was given authority over tribe. Verse 8, all those who live on the earth, now look at this, will worship the false prophet. All those who will live on the earth will worship the beast, will worship the false prophet. Now look at this, who are these people? Revelation chapter 13, verse 7. Now we begin to understand who are these people whose who live on the earth. Notice what it says. Here it identifies them, has identified them. It, um, uh, verse 8, all those who live on the earth will worship it. Now, who are all those that live on the earth? Everyone whose name was not written, look at this, from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. So who are these who dwell upon the face of the earth at this time? They are unbelieving Gentiles, unbelieving Gentiles whose names were not found written in the Lamb's book of life. It's in there. It's in there. There's your definition of who they are. Go down to verse 14. It deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that it permitted to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. It was permitted to give breath to the image of the beast. So they're engaged in false worship of the uh, Antichrist and the false prophet. That's who those who dwell upon the earth are. They are the unbelieving, unsaved Gentiles. So now we bring all of that information back to Revelation chapter 3. And in Revelation chapter 3, listen to, with that information in mind, listen to Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Because you have kept my command to endure. Now, we, we have a better idea who they are, but we're going to clarify that next week. We're going to clarify that next week. But obviously, you can already tell, if it's not the unbelieving Jews, unsaved Jews, and it's not the unbelieving Gentiles, who's left? The only people left are the saved people, whether Jew or Gentile. And we're going to verify that next week. But, but notice what it says. Because you... Whether you're Jew or Gentile who have been saved, you have kept my command to endure. And by the way, God does the work of endurance in your life. I will also keep you saved, Jews and Gentiles, from the hour of testing that's going to come on the whole world of unbelieving Jews. Two-thirds are going to be wiped out. One-third are going to be tested and brought through, purged in the fire. On the whole world to test those unbelieving Gentiles who live on 
the earth. Why is this significant? Because every person who has not received Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, should they live when Christ returns and calls His own, they will go through the tribulation and many many of their hearts will become hardened and they will refuse to cry out to God. But there will be some saved. But beloved, listen to me. Listen to me carefully. Every person who breathes their last. The young man was on a motorcycle yesterday driving down South Church Street. Not doing anything crazy, stupid, or wrong. Car pulls out in front of him, kills him. Friend of ours, on my birthday... Driving a truck down the road, loses control, goes over a ravine, flips. So many times they can't count. Lands upside down. The truck is demolished. She walks away without a scratch. You seventeen. You 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 never know. You you never know. There is no rhyme or reason to why or when these things happen. All it takes is a phone call to get a diagnosis. All it takes is tragedy to occur. All it takes is to have a great time at a concert. Nothing wrong with having a great time at a concert. Minding your own business, doing your own thing, and shots out of nowhere. Take out 58 people. Beloved, it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment and the time is drawing near for Christ's return. And once this is in motion and once this is in place, yes, His wrath is coming to pour out on the unsaved Jews and His wrath is coming to pour out on the unsaved Gentiles. But I want you to know this today. Today, today's a day of grace. And today is a day of opportunity to see yourself in light of who God is. He doesn't ask you to be perfect. He doesn't ask you to be sinless. He doesn't ask you to be any of those things. You know what He asks you to do? He asks you to receive Him by faith. You can't live the perfect sinless life. You can't be found favorable in the eyes of God based on your own doing. If you could draw a line to sin today and and never commit another sin going forward, beloved, you are guilty for all the sins that have been committed in the past. And even one of those sins is enough to separate you from God for all of eternity. But Christ came and lived the perfect sinless life that you and I can't live. And Christ died the cruel death on the cross in our place. He bore the wrath of God, not for His sin, for our sin. Christ bore God's wrath on Him in order that He could extend grace to us. And He brings us here in this place today with our eyes open, our hearts beating, breath, and says today... Is a day of grace.
And today is the day of salvation. If you are not saved, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, beloved, nothing good awaits you in the days ahead. Nothing. All that is good and grand and glorious is given to you as a gift. You just simply have to believe and receive And the evidence that you have believed and received by faith is that you will live it. You will live it. And as you live it, you will endure to the end. And you will be those who will be kept from the hour of testing. Whatever that hour of testing is, we'll find out more next week. But beloved, if you're here and you're not saved, then I pray that today before you leave this place... That you would take someone, come see me, let me answer questions, let me help you know, indeed, how you can be saved and how you can become the child of God. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for God's Word and His study, and I'm thankful for the fact that it says, You have, because you have kept, I will also keep you from. That word keep, keep you from is the word ek. It means out of out of. I will keep you not through the tribulation, out of the tribulation. And uh, thankful for that. And how is He going to do that? I'll tell you that next week. Until then, let's keep reading and praying and uh, studying and uh, trusting God and His Word. Let's stand for prayer and be dismissed. Father, I thank You, Lord. Thank You for this day and I thank You for this privilege. I thank You for Your Word, for it is true and it speaks life into our hearts. Father, I'm thankful that Your Word doesn't return void, but it accomplishes the purpose for which it went out. I pray, Father, that all of us today will grow in our burden for lost people, both unsaved Jews, unbelieving Gentiles. And God, we will love them immensely and we will love them enough to share the gospel with them. And we will be patient with them as they walk the journey to salvation and join us in giving you glory in all things. Father, we are well aware that no one is better than anyone else. That if anyone has claims to the kingdom, if anyone has been regenerated, has been saved, who will be kept from this hour of testing, Father, it's not by our works, but it's by your grace. And Father, we just pray that your grace would continue to extend out upon us today and upon others as well. And Lord, we're going to rejoice and be glad and give you the glory for all things. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen.